for me, it's really about the fact that BIPOC is the fastest growing demographic in the state. Uh, the, demo, the, the, the state faces some serious and significant demographic challenges, but BIPOC grew by 112% between 2010 and 2020. If you're looking at answers to solve the demographic issues in the state, then part of that solution lies in the BIPOC community. From Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies, it's Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. Today, we sit down with Tino Rutanira and Weiwei Wang, co-executive directors of the Vermont Professionals of Color Network. Welcome, this is Sam Roach-Gerber and David Bradbury, recording from the Consolidated Communications Technology Hub in downtown Burlington, Vermont. Tino Weiwei, hi. Hi. Hello. We are so happy to have you here, sharing a mic, being very co-executive directory. <laughs> Seriously, this Aren't is the they? first test of co-executive director right. how they manhandle the or woman handle the mic here so good luck human handle oh, human that's even handle. such a better way to do yeah. it yeah You're welcome. <gasps> or if you look at the mic Boom. it's slightly pointed towards way way so <laughs> <laughs> bias right. we'll, we'll run with it we'll see how we do oh i love human I, handle i absolutely did that on purpose just a little bit towards way way <laughs> um Okay, I wanted to start and hear a little bit about each of you as individuals. Who are you? Where are you from? Why did we get so lucky to have you here today? So Weiwei, let's start with you. Okay, great. So uh, Weiwei Wang, she, her pronouns. Um, Love that. Thank thank you. Thank you. And so I am originally from Beijing, China. I moved here when I was about five years old because my father was at the University of Vermont. And um, at the time, you know, grew up raised her until I was about 12, went to uh, Utah and then came back and really didn't feel like I was connected to the Vermont community as an immigrant, as a Chinese person. Um, there weren't too many folks who were who I identified with, um, teachers at my school, people on the street. Um, the most connection that we had was a Chinese school and some professors at UVM and also restaurant owners. And I remember thinking in high school, I need to leave this place. I need to get out. I graduated early. I came back after college, worked for a couple of years, and I could not stay here. So when I did end up coming back in 2014, my intention was not to stay. It was to leave Vermont again for a graduate program. And I ended up staying, went to the University of Vermont's Community Development and Applied Economics program, and started to understand what it was to connect with community, to be part of community, and to understand that I could do more for Vermont by being here than by leaving. So I started to engage more with civic engagement uh, opportunities in the city of Burlington and otherwise, um, and really trying to find community, specifically the Asian community. And that's actually how I got connected to Chino, is um, our third co-founder, Pat Kiamanivan, who's working at the city of Burlington at the time, connected us and um, brought us together um, for the sake of creating a youth-focused event in the city of Burlington. But one of the re- my reasons for um, being part of this organization, the driver for my passion is, you know, when my father came to this country to UVM in 1985, he got here in January and there's nobody to support him. He didn't even know where the grocery stores were. Nobody told him and he ate out of a vending machine for two weeks until school started. And then somebody was like, oh, hey, maybe you need to know where the grocery store is. I don't want anyone to feel like they don't have access to information. 
or um, a community to support them. So that's a huge driver. Wow. Or people to ask, right? Or, you know, mentors and people that say, hey, you can, not only can you make it work here, you can thrive. Yeah. And we've been able to see that um, more and more now. But I'll turn it to Tino. What was the question again? (laughs) (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so Tino Tenda, Charles Rutanira. I am originally from uh, Zimbabwe, and um, I have been... Here in the United States, I came here in the year 2000. I was 26 at the time. Um, I I mean, the story behind everything of mine is a podcast on its own, but I'll kind of make it short. Um, I came here with a university degree, but uh, because of my my refugee status and the fact that I spoke with an accent and, you know, had two names, one of which was a Shona name, which people couldn't pronounce and so on. Nobody wanted to hire me at the time. And so um, one lesson, one of the first lessons I learned while here in the United States was the importance of making a good sandwich. And so um, I was working multiple jobs at the time, uh, low-paying jobs, of course. I was uh, working at uh, the the Radisson, no, the Hilton at the time, working on Filene's at the mall, working at a daycare, and I also was working at Anything's Pastable, which is a sandwich shop, which is where the, uh, what's the, what's the restaurant that's there now? Um, the whiskey know. Room. Whiskey Room. Oh, the Whiskey yeah. Room, yeah. yes. Ah, right. And so, anyway, long story short, um, I made killer sandwiches, and this gentleman at uh, Chittenden Bank at the time took a liking to my sandwiches, wouldn't eat any sandwiches made by anybody else. He then got to find like find out what my story was. Uh, he knew I was educated or smart, hardworking, took care in making sandwiches. And so he decided that he wanted somebody like me working for Chittenden Bank. And so I got a, basically, like within two weeks of having sort of applied for a job, I was given a teleposition. And then from that point on, I was doing a computer systems engineering course uh, at SimQuest at the time. And um, the help desk manager was like, hey, I want you on my team. And so from there, I just sort of started moving up the ladder. And for me, that was sort of the one thing that showed me that you just need people to take a chance on you to open doors for you. And I wanted to do that for other people. Um, The second lesson that I learned uh, in my stay here that led to also the formation of this organization is that you might think you're a nobody, but somebody out there thinks you're somebody. And I was mentoring a young man who looked up to me. Uh, This is now years later, like in 2015 or so. And he, I didn't think I was anyone, but he looked at me and saw that I had a house, I had a car, you know, I was moving up the career ladder and he wanted to be like me. And so I saw this through conversations with him and how I had inspired him and thought to myself, like, there's other people that are looking at me, even though I don't think I am anything and I certainly hadn't made it. But they still thought I was, like, doing things. And so I thought that, yeah, those two things really were the genesis of why I went into figuring out, like, how can I create something that can help open doors for people and also use my 
status in the community, which I still even today don't think it's that much, but, you know, to, to help people and to navigate, help them navigate, you know, their career and professional development. Yeah. I mean, that's something that you talk about often, Tino, is like, we're here to open the doors because we've had those experiences. And so others shouldn't have to encounter the same barriers or at least have a helping hand through those barriers so that it doesn't take as much time to get through them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's really great. Um, so maybe you could just help explain what the purpose or mission is of uh, the Vermont Professionals of Color Network. Way, way. Oh, yeah. So our mission is to advance the prosperity of BIPOC Vermonters across the state. Um, and that could be economically, socially, definitely for the community. Well, sometimes the social has to come before the economics, exactly. right? Like, exactly. I And I love you all do such an amazing job sharing information and telling stories and one thing that I love about it is there's just as much celebration and joy as there are resources and having hard conversations. And I think that is what makes it feel like more than just a resource, but a community. Um, and I just want to go back a second because um, just both of you such powerful stories um, and so inspiring. Tino, I can't help but think about you being so underutilized when you came here, right? Working three or four jobs, getting paid very little. Um, what kept you motivated? Like, you know, until you met the right person at the right moment, like what, what kept you here? What kept you not giving up? Because man, I'm like, I'm so weak. There's no way I would last doing four jobs and being underpaid. I, I, you know, so I'm just, I want to think about the people that are in that right now. Um, what kept you motivated? I think just knowing your value and knowing what you're worth. Uh, I knew I had a college degree. I knew that I just had to showcase my skills to the right people. And so it was when I met this gentleman and, uh, you know, I wish I could say his name, but I don't know if you would want that. But he was the one that sort of opened that first door. And for me then, from that point, then I was able to then showcase my skills. And right. then, you know, the help desk manager then saw me. And then the the manager for the engineering department saw me. And then from there, uh, the I was managing part of the Chindon's uh, insurance team or insurance group, their IT and the, the then president of the insurance division saw me and then introduced me to Rich Tarrant. And he, at the time, he was starting my web grocer, or at least had started it, but was looking for people to join. So it was that, that sort of like people opening doors uh, that really sort of gave me inspiration that like that, that is what it is. It's like and, you know, when I when I think about, sorry, I'm going to go on a little bit. No, here. please. Uh, when I think about, like, um, generational wealth, um, people think about it in terms of just finances, um, but I think of it in terms of access, and mm. I think of it in terms of the ability to find people that will open doors for you, that will give you uh, a chance to showcase what you're capable of doing. And for me, that's what I want to do for the BIPOC community is to start to build that generational wealth because it's not just about making money. It's about then having the right connections, the people that are open doors and so on. Yeah, the value of the networks yeah. are, are just so um, tough to build, tough to get. Mm -hmm. But once you have them, 
it's like that snowball that forms. It gets bigger yeah, and bigger. And, exactly. and you all are doing that, when, which is really great. When I started at Northeastern, I remember the first, you know, the your sophomore year, you do a co-op, which is ex- essentially an extended internship. And I remember these students with generational wealth getting their uncle mm-hmm. to recommend them yep. for whatever position. And I just remember being like, cheaters. You know, like <laughs> that was literally my point of view of like, ah, mm-hmm. cheaters. Um, and I've since learned, you know, uh, you know, you use your network. Like, sure, they had the privilege to get them there, but everyone needs to use their network and everyone should have the right to that network, right? And and creating that. And so um, I completely agree that that access is is so much more powerful, you know, given a certain stage, but that's what matters. That's what makes the difference between, you know, a decent job and a, and a position of leadership. Right. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And sometimes it's the small gestures, you know, of just saying, Hey, I believe in you. And that's often what we're doing as an organization for the BIPOC small business owner community for the small business or for the BIPOC professional community. Right. Mm -hmm. We're talking to um, a couple of business owners now, and um, we're getting some of that feedback of saying, Hey, all I needed was for you to tell me about this resource. And I applied for it. I got funding or I got um, that loan or I got that position. Um, just that open that door because otherwise they're like, I'm not sure the best direction to go to because there are so many options sometimes. Um, and maybe it's not even that clear um, at yeah. the moment. So. Or having the right language, right? right like exactly. Th- for me, that's a huge one as well. And like mm-hmm. demystifying these yep. steps and like knowing that not everyone has it figured out too. Because I think that's a big thing is, yeah oh, this other person got this thing, they must have it all figured out right? when they really don't. right? So I'm really interested in how you took your personal experiences, the barriers of frustration, and then formed an organization. Like that, <laughs> that was a pretty brave step. Or how did that just come together? Was it over a, a, a coffee or was it over years or months? Like just that genesis of how you came about with an organization. Yeah. Tina, why don't you take that one? Wowzers. Now you're asking me to like dig back <laughs> into my memory banks. Because I think we were just talking about the other day, like how we actually met and couldn't really quite pinpoint, but it was really... Oh, oh I remember, but you go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> uh, but really, um, for me, uh, the young man that I was mentoring, um, I was trying to figure out like, how can I, you know, when you think about how can I find people that professionals of color that can help him sort of in the same way that I've been able to help him. But when we were looking at trying to figure out, like, who are the professionals of color? You know, we didn't know them. I mean, I knew right. there wasn't an email list you could, no, you could find. There wasn't right? a network. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So and and at that point, it was really like when we were thinking about maybe helping young people and finding mentors for them, when you think about sort of when you're in an airplane and they tell you to put the oxygen mask on mm-hmm. yourselves first before putting it on a child, that's really what happened to us. Mm-hmm. We realized, like, we don't know. How can I recommend somebody to a journalist, when a, a young mentee to a journalist, when I don't even know who the BIPOC journalists are? Mm-hmm. How do I tell people about you know, the healthcare industry when I don't know professionals of color that are in the healthcare industry. So really we needed to put the mask on ourselves yeah. first and start to create a network of professionals that they, that can then go and start to 
So to like keep taking a step back and a step back, you're like, wait, we don't have this problem solved or this problem solved. Right. Yeah. Wait, wait, how do you remember it? Oh, it was definitely like that where um, Tino was coming from it from that point of view. I was thinking about youth of color. I was working um, at UVM at the time and thinking about um, students who wanted to get into the creative industry, right? Like artists and musicians. And from my point of view, thinking, okay, I know a bunch of artists who are BIPOC identified. I'd love to get them together and showcase them so that students can see there is a viable career in this in these fields and that they can um, do that in here in Vermont. And that's what I find really beautiful about the joining of um, Tino and myself is Pitt saw that we both essentially wanted the same thing, to connect these young people of color in the city of Burlington or around Burlington to these professionals, whether they're um, a, graf- or a graphic designer or um, a computer programmer mm-hmm. or a banker, et cetera. Um, and she brought us together and that's where things started to form. And it was off of this idea of an event, which became another event um, specifically for networking, a hundred people came, BIPOC identified, um, to that first event. And this is before you even had a formal name. Yes, just for correct. Putting it out there. That's cool. Yeah, we didn't even come up with event or a, a name until about I think it was February of the following yeah, year because yeah. it was around MLK yeah. Day. I remember. Just before COVID. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we had been planning events. We had done two at um, in 2019, and then 2020 we had one more before COVID shut shut everything down what did what did the energy in that room feel like that first event must have been I mean obviously for you to build an organization afterwards it must have been so incredibly powerful yes yeah yeah yeah. the energy was just insane I mean everybody was so excited and we had a I mean a hundred people for an event that maybe we had thought would get like 20 tops Um, It was amazing. And everybody kept saying, like, why haven't we done this before? Mm. And we just kept thinking ourselves, like, yeah, why haven't we done this before? And so even with the next events that happened, everybody just kept saying, like, this is amazing. We love getting together and meeting. And I think the greatest thing that maybe happened to us as an organization was COVID uh, because we were on this, like, riding this momentum train of events and like we didn't see the possibilities really that were open to us because we were just like let's do another event let's do another event and yet the writing was on the wall but we were so busy enjoying the success we didn't see what really we were supposed to be and, doing. And you all had full-time professional yes, careers too. Correct. So this was correct. A, this was a side hustle that kept getting bigger and bigger and exactly. You know, got it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And so during COVID, that's when everything ground to a halt and it forced us to to take pause and to just see the success we had had and then to then try and figure out like what is it that we want to be when we grow up? We started like rehearing all the conversations we'd had in all these events where people were saying like, I need a mentor, I, I need a job, or I need to learn, like, can you can help connect me with, with folks? And, you know, I went to CVOEO and uh, I'm so confused about what exactly I'm supposed to be doing, all these things. It's like a customer discovery process, <laughs> the empathy, right? Yeah. You just hear and listen and distill yeah. it. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, these are the things that people have been talking about in separate, like, circles before, like, smaller circles. And to have it in one room to say, hear people all say the same things over and over and over again. And the joy that it brought to everyone in those moments and that they could ride on that high thereafter, just after that one meeting for a while until the next meeting. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really a huge part of it. You're listening to Start Here, a podcast from Vermont Center for Emerging Technologies. VSET is a public benefit corporation serving Vermont businesses from start to scale. We provide no-cost strategic business advising for any business owner, regardless of stage or industry, as well as venture capital for early stage tech or tech-enabled businesses. You can find us online at vset.co. That's V-C-E-T dot C-O. If you like what you're hearing, please help us out and rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast today. Now, back to the show. So let's talk about the sort of formalization of things. So COVID hit, um, and I think a lot of organizations experience the same, like, oh, this is actually, you know, good for us in many ways. Can you talk about like the, you know, the first sort of um, funding, building your team, like those first kind of baby steps towards what you are today? Yeah. um, So I think, so going off of Tino, when COVID hit, we kind of took that step back and we're supporting other organizations at first. And then we ended up doing a strategy meeting, I think the summer of 2020, because we started to attract interest in the work that we were doing. Because the folks who were coming to our events were talking about us, about what we were doing, about what they got out of it. And so we did get interest from um, Northfield Savings Bank Foundation. They came to us and were like, we want to support you in what you're doing because we clearly need more of it. And then we also got interest from Vermont Community Foundation. So we got really fortunate that folks were coming to us with the funding. They said, like, what do you need? And we said, we want to be a 501c3. We want to build an organization that is supporting BIPOC folks across the state um, in whatever way they need it. And so they said, okay, here are our capacity grants to do just that. And we did get money to get our 501c3 status kicked off. And in the process of that, we also started managing the BIPOC vaccination clinics here in Burlington. Um, That was one of like four or five different vaccine um, clinics, specifically supporting BIPOC folks across the state. ALV, um, Rutland and Wyndham, NAACPs were doing it. And that actually also got our names out there more um, that we were supporting, that we were there for the community, not just in um, that professional sense, but also just like in that human sense. And health equity is such a big piece of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so funding started to come in and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, thank God for operational use, right? Like Mm -hmm. that is massive, especially as you're trying to figure out what you are, right? I mean, that was a a big piece of it. Um, So talk to us a little bit about your team. Mm. We started, (laughs) well, we started off with an intern. We knew, um, I think, 
towards the end of 2020, we realized we needed somebody to support us because it was getting so big. We were creating uh, strategy, et cetera. And so we hired an intern still with us, Charlotte Santiago Graf, who is currently our marketing specialist. She's amazing. Um, and she was a senior at UVM at the time. And we hired her part-time and um, she ended up being um, a critical part of our team because she, everything that you see visually today, she was the one who started it. So a lot of credit has to go to her and her vision of what it could be. Um, we did, all we had was a little logo and she really <laughs> ramped it up. A logo that Blaine and Tensei, um, our board member now, um, she created, I think, Hi, in Blaine. a Word document. Hey, Blaney. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I came on in June of 2021. Um, I was very fortunate. I talked with Tino and Pitt and talked about just how quickly our organization was growing and the fact that I had the opportunity to make that jump. So, um, and we all believed in it. And I think I was the only one at the time who was able to make that jump. So I did it. And I'm so glad that I did um, because I've learned so much <laughs> over <laughs> that time. Just like in terms of like, because I was the one who had to submit the 51C3 documents and all that. and Which isn't easy stuff. It, I've done it a number of times, it, and it's daunting. And, and we and, weren't able to use the easy form at all. We weren't because we had just enough funding that we were over that threshold. I was like, damn it. Why do we get so much funding? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you'll never say that again. Just no, I will never say that, never say that again. No, in the moment, I did feel that way. But I feel like even just doing all that is like, oh, this is why we're setting this up to help people do this again, yeah. right? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. The number of times that I've been asked a question, how do you set up a 501c3? And I've been able to consult with those organizations like the Yoga Equity Project, Relief Collective, being able to help other BIPOC organizations get to that level. And because we can't all do it all on our own, right? We need those others around us who are who have the same or similar vision. So being able to help them has been incredible. So great. And I think part of the challenge too was learning about all these things that I think as an entrepreneur, you don't necessarily think about like getting insurance. Like, like what is workman's comp? What is the type of insurance I need? What about payroll? Like, because now Weiwei was on payroll, like working with a payroll company and we got burnt a couple of times with, with that. And, you know, there's just so many other things like, oh, we got to get a website. We got to get a phone. We got to get email set up. Are we using Google? Are we using, so just mm-hmm. these procedural things. Yeah, there's, right. You need four numbers in the state of Vermont, right? You need yeah. your state ID, the unemployment insurance uh-huh. number, the workers comp number, and then I guess the, then the federal number. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah. It's and you're lot, wondering so. all the time, like, am I setting this up right? Like, right. are we going to one day find out like we didn't have this one piece of thing that we've been operating for five years and now we got to like, so it's just scary. And mm-hmm. so can I ask you about you're, you've got it organized now. You're set up. You're having events that are massive. And um, what was the reaction, or what's the relationship with some of the existing business or civic organization? Like, were you was this welcomed or threatening in some way, or was it collaborative? Um, I think uh, one really good part about it is that organizations in Vermont have been very welcoming of us as an organization. I think people see what we are doing and the reason why we're doing it, um, I think inherently people are good. 
um, even though some may argue corporations are bad, but um, I think the people within them see that, you know, there is a need for us to rewrite some of the injustices that have been done, particularly to people of color. Um, when sometimes when I think about it and think like, let's say the business community, um, why, what are the challenges that the BIPOC business community is having? Those challenges are not unique to, to BIPOC people starting a business. You know, it's not, you know, everybody's going to go through those problems of not knowing what to do or not having, you know, enough information, et cetera. But I think what makes it different for us is maybe think of a business and put on top of that, it's a woman-owned business. So you've got all those challenges. And then that woman happens to be from, you know, happens to be a person of color. Um, she's brown, you know, and so you put on top. So the race component. And then that woman is also from Afghanistan. So she speaks with an Afghani accent. So if you take all of those and put them on top of a situation where in Vermont, it's the second widest state in the country, that presents a challenge of somebody trying to maybe sell you, tell you that they build websites or they have, you know, a particular apparatus that, you know, they are using as a service. It's hard to make that sell if you've got all those layers mm -hmm. challenging your perception of what you can offer as a service to a person. And so I think it's been great that we've had organizations like the Vermont Business Roundtable giving us finance, giving us grants and giving us not just grants, but giving us um, access to their people and, and, and um, helping us through some of the challenges that we've had. And, and even with the money that they've given us, some of it is unrestricted. So it allows us to, for example, pay our employees and use the money for, for stuff that we don't necessarily have to account for what we're using it for. It's just a pot of money that we can, we can utilize. And that has been incredibly, incredibly helpful to get us off the ground. Because if we were talking to venture capitalists or something, we would have to prove in a, I think in a far larger way, why we needed that money and where that money was going and to show a, a return on that investment. My hope is that the return of that investment for organizations that have invested in us is that we can showcase what we are doing uh, in the Vermont landscape and really making generational impact that will not just be beneficial for BIPOC Vermonters, but will be beneficial for Vermonters as a whole. Mm -hmm. Wasn't it? I think we met at in Manchester, Vermont, at the business roundtable meeting. Remember that freezing room they yes. had us sitting in? It was <laughs> awful. <laughs> well, I think you know that speaks to just what a massive problem you're solving mm -hmm. for Vermont, and you know I think many organizations recognize that and are just like, thank God someone's doing this, right? I mean, it it was just there was so much low hanging fruit. And I know, you know, we've had that conversation before where it's like, there's so much opportunity, like where do you even start? Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely want to jump to like sort of more tactical, like, you know, for, you know, aspiring BIPOC business owners or professionals that are listening right now, like what are the services that you all provide and how can they engage with you? Yeah. Can I just also say, um, 
to your earlier point, we're not the only ones doing this. So I do want to acknowledge that we're not the only BIPOC organization in the space. I want to acknowledge AALV and the incredible work that they're doing. I want to acknowledge Racial Justice Alliance, um, Relief Collective, Community Resilience Organizations. Um, that's a, um, um, in central Vermont, the NAACPs. There are a lot of other organizations in this space and we are working together as a collective whole. Um, we are partnered with them um, because we can't do this alone. It's not just like a one organization problem. So I don't ever mm. want us to be like the only organization to be recognized in this work. Totally. Yeah. Um, thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and to Dave's point earlier, we are working with them, and I think it's been very beautifully collaborative um, with these other organizations who are BIPOC identified as well. Um, in terms of services that we offer, um, wow, <laughs> we, we're doing a lot. I think in terms of small businesses, I'll say we offer what we were terming as technical assistance, but now we're framing as community support because we want to make sure that the community understands that we're supporting them. Mm -hmm. um, and that ranges from making sure that people have information about existing resources. That's a big deal. Oftentimes, these um, the resources that are, are available, it's not reaching the community of color, and it's not reaching them in a timely manner, especially if there are deadlines involved, if there are grant um, application deadlines, et cetera. So we're making sure that, and um, I will acknowledge that we're not everywhere right now, and that's part of our strategy moving um, in this next year is to make sure that we are touching the deeper corners of Vermont, right? Um, but in terms of providing services, making sure that people know about it, and then once they know about it, making sure that they have all the tools that they need in order to go for what they want within that existing resource. So if it means, you know, Sam, if you were one of our members, making sure, hey, are you good with this resource? You're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to apply for it. I'm set. I'll let you know. Great. If there are other folks, like maybe Dave is a member, and Dave is like, hey, I need more hand-holding. I need you to actually walk through this with, uh, with me um, because I'm not sure about the steps. We absolutely do that. So um, it's that whole range. And, you know, Erin Shaw, who is our current community support coordinator. Erin rocks. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> and she's based in Thetford. Um, she's been supporting uh, small businesses that have been dealing with flood um, flood recovery and working on the BGAP, working on other applications, um, whether it's um, unemployment, et cetera, and really diving deep with them, like 60 hours per person, really. So going back to Montpelier every single week to make sure that people have everything that they need, um, you know, be on the phone with them on a Sunday night if needed. Um, so in terms of small businesses, there's like a wide range and where we have a contract with the ACCD right now um, and part of that is to provide that assistance to both the business and professional community. And in terms of professional development, we're building out that strategy. But um, the team, including Crystal Sanchez, who is our project program and um, events manager, is we love amazing. you, Crystal. Cannot, literally cannot do anything without her. I love her. seeing her in the hallway here. Yeah, she's right? amazing. I mean, you too, Wei Wei. Oh, I guess. Now Tino. Okay. Uh -huh. Tino, I've seen him. Uh -huh. recently, so. <laughs> um, and we also have Mimi um, Dong, who uh, is a St. Johnsbury, um, grew up in St. Johnsbury, went to UVM, and we were at the keeper here. Um, 
awesome article on Mimi too. Um, if you yeah. want to hear more about yeah. Mimi, uh, National Public Radio, yeah. Vermont Public, like yeah. Um, so now all the visuals are via Mimi. Anyway, um, so uh, Aaron and I have been um, supporting some professionals in terms of like, okay, um, where do you want to go? Working with Champlain College a lot um, because um, Pat over there is asking us questions. Okay, I have the student who is trying to get connected. Um, do you know of any resources? And just working with them working with them one-on-one. And I think something important to note is that we are very high touch with our community members. We make sure that we're engaging with them on a deeper level to make sure that we know exactly what they need. Just like Tino was talking about, Mm -hmm. making sure like, okay, you need a job. Okay, here are the connections. If you want us to be in the room, we'll be in the room with you. How do you, how have you been able to take this menu of need, right? (laughs) And, and just sort of, prioritize or, or drill down. I mean, obviously you respond yeah. to floods and COVID, yeah. right? And, but you, you know, you had the four pillars, I think originally, are those still mm-hmm. the, the guideposts knowing yes, that technical yes. assistance we call community support now, yeah. but yeah. 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 What, so, what are the other three? So um, if you picture a house, uh, our foundation is networking. And why is networking the foundation? It's because that's what builds the community. That's what makes people feel connected, like they belong, like they're part of something. So for us, that's the most important piece of the whole thing, is building that sense of belonging. From there are three other pillars. Uh, the first one, think of like a Roman Coliseum, I guess. <laughs> uh, one of those pillars is um, pro- promoting BIPOC entrepreneurship which is talked about with with businesses and stuff. We want to try and help entrepreneurs that are BIPOC to grow and to, you know, become the next dealer.coms and stuff. But even if they want to stay a small, you know, mom and pop shops, that's fine. But we want to have them have the sort of the economic strength and resilience to stick to, to stay and, and be prosperous. The... The th- second pillar is promoting BIPOC professional development. And so it's like way we said, helping people in their professional growth all the way from entry level through, you know, VP level in the C-suite. And then the third pillar is empowering BIPOC youth. And that really is just about making sure that we have we give young people ages like 18 to 22 the mentorship, op- sorry, menteeship opportunities uh, that they need to kind of aspire to be more than what they picture themselves. And then also to get the experiential opportunities that they need to allow them to get into professional paying jobs by hitting the ground running. So making sure that they get internships while they're still in college and having somebody kind of walk them through that process. I just think about like 18-year-old Weiwei, like if you had had this resource, you know, I think... Vermont would have been on the table sooner, which is really kind of beautiful. And I think it says a lot, you know, the fact that you pause the podcast to be like, wait, let me acknowledge all the other groups that are out here doing this. Mm -hmm. Like you all have the best reputation in the state, I think, because you're so aware of what other folks are doing and trying to empower those groups as well. Um, So the foundation being networking absolutely makes perfect sense to me. Um, I just, we unfortunately have to wrap up. I was hoping this would be like a, two-day podcast but yes oh my god please sorry Um, no please the reason why i think we're so important and this is kind of saying something to your listeners um why focus on bipoc um because there's so many other 
areas of interest. From, from, for me, it's really about the fact that BIPOC is the fastest growing demographic in the state. Uh, the, demo, the, the, the state faces some serious and significant demographic challenges, but BIPOC grew by 112% between 2010 and 2020. Um, so if you're looking at answers to solve the demographic issues in the state, then part of that solution lies in the BIPOC community. This rapidly growing segment of the state is going to be your future doctors, it's going to be your future accountants, it's going to be your future bankers, it's going to be your future teachers, and so on, politicians. So if we're not going to invest in this fastest-growing demographic in the state and get them ready and prepared to be in that position of responsibility in the future, then, I mean, this, this state is then in trouble. And... And so that, for me, is sort of the thing that I would want to say to your audience today who might be questioning, well, there's so many other things we could be doing, but that is absolutely, for me, the reason they should be focused on that. So glad you, uh, Let's fucking you, you brought go. that up. Um, yes. Yeah, we, oh, we could swear? Sorry. Yeah. I, I, just just say, I, know. I know. I was being nice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I am... Right I know. Containing myself, damn. I'm trying Please. to behave. Sorry, <laughs> I just like. I'm sorry. Why haven't I been calling Tino for my motivational speaches? I'm just no, like, yes, seriously. You're right. Tino's amazing speaker. Oh my yeah. god. Also, let's just acknowledge that Tino um, is doing a lot of this for his daughter, right? Yeah, right. Like, we want her to come back to the state because she's she's fucking amazing. She interned for us this summer, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Really? Like, where have you been hiding her? her in Brand Farm? Okay. Great. Is she? Um, is she available this summer? Because we're looking not for, for interns. You. Come on. No, we're going to bring her back. We to fight. Hey, we just hey, fight. We'll fight. No, no stealing. Um, um, I, I do want to ask, like, um, what can people individually or organizations do um, to help your 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 purpose, your mission, your programs? Is it is it money, time, resources? Like, just just lay out the top three or four things. Yeah, it's time um, by giving us, like, giving our like our entre- uh, entrepreneurs and business owners uh, uh, going to their businesses and spending their money with them. Uh, if you've got, you know, capacity, maybe helping a BIPOC business understand things like accounting or you know legal services and stuff, you know that sort of thing. Uh, for us as an organization, money. Um, I know, you know. Money is a sensitive topic, but the reason I think money is important as as an organization is all the stuff that we've listed has to be paid for in some way or another. And for us to then send out, to hire folks and send them out to evangelize this gospel of, of BIPOC prosperity and economic development and career development and all that stuff, we cannot then be paying somebody you know, $30,000 to go and then pretend that they're excited about this. We want to get the best and brightest people working for us, pay them a competitive salary, and help them grow the state of Vermont. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Can I speak to that? I mean, VTPOC is growing to be a public asset. You know, we're not only helping the BIPOC community, we're really helping, to Tino's point, the entire state of Vermont, you know, pulling it up. Um, and we also do need space. Um, it would be great to 
to have a location for us if somebody wants to donate a space, but also we have a lot of events and we're always looking for spaces across the state, not just in Chittenden County. Yeah, so if someone could donate a space and pick up the food and beverage town, that would go a long way. Okay. That would, absolutely. Yeah, they just need to call us. VSET for their space. Yeah, VSET. VSET has been a huge donor, um, not only in terms of advising us as an organization, giving us the opportunity to have space where we can meet as um, as a team and also to meet others here too, you know, opening it up to, you know, Chanel, one of our members is now a member here. We met Rashid um, and talking to him this week on Wednesday. So yeah, really awesome. excited um, at what VSET has to offer. and so appreciative of the culture here of um, the community here of the support here. Well, thank, thank you, you for being here. And it, it, you know, it's a two-way street here. Having y'all in here, doing your work in here, you know, Rashid's a great example. He's like, who are these folks? What are they doing? I'm like, you should probably meet them. Yeah. They're pretty great. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's been nothing but incredibly valuable for us to have y'all in here. And we're, we're so grateful. Thank you. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see what goes on in the next couple of years. Oh, I you mean, don't even you know, Dan. You're so badass and you're all just getting going. I mean, this is I, really neat. You make all your mistakes and the stuff in the first couple of years. You mm-hmm. tune it and now you scale it. And you seem to be in that scaling mode. We are. And that's why it's so cool. We didn't touch on this, but Tino just joined the team full time recently. So excited. And now we're like co-EDs and like to have worked with Tino on weekends and evenings, like when it's like fucking want to just sleep. Like <laughs> Tino sometimes is like, are you sure you want to meet? Like, fine. Um, and I'm like, I need to talk to you. You're like, fine, um, but I'm bringing my dog. Yeah, basically, yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so now being able to have the VSET space to meet regularly and to just elevate what we're doing. Like already I feel that sense of ease. And I think that's another podcast in itself, this co-leadership model of like, it's really fucking lonely at the top. It's lonely. um, And to be able to share that with somebody is really incredible. I'm very fortunate. I think we're both really fortunate. Thank you. To be continued. Do the last question. All right. We're going to hit you with our magic wand question. We'll give each of you your own answer, I suppose. Um, If you could change one thing in Vermont today, what would you change? Mm. Magic wand. I know. I've already thought about this before. Um, I would change the population in the state of Vermont. I would increase it. The state is in trouble in terms of demographics. Uh, We are the third least most populated state, 49th in population growth rate. And unless if we grow the state, we are going to have a bunch of old people and nobody actually doing any work. Good one. Yeah, so important. Um, For me, it's healthcare access, especially for our small business owners. Um, This is something that I've been thinking about a lot. You know, with our BIPOC community, I get a lot of questions around how do I access healthcare? How do I even get dental care? Can I do this if I'm a sole proprietor? So making healthcare accessible, making it inexpensive for small business owners so that they can scale up to Tino's point, right? And not have that be the factor that they're not, like the reason they're not. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that's really challenging. And we talked about it this weekend when I was with a, a group of small business owners who are BIPOC identified, you know, wanting to have healthcare, wanting to be able to get mental healthcare, especially 
you know, that's a, that's a big thing. Amazing. Such good answers. Um, before we close out real quick, there is a BIPOC business directory on your website. Yes. And an, a link to donate. Is that correct? There is. And okay. also a jobs board for BIPOC um, professionals who want to look for expanding their career. Amazing. Thank you both so much for your time. Really, really happy to have you here. Thank you both for having us. Thank, Thank you. you. You're smart and I like you. <laughs> <laughs> I like you too. Yeah. Um, this has been Start Here, a podcast sharing the stories of active, aspiring, and accidental entrepreneurs. The series is supported by the Vermont Technology Council and Consolidated Communications. Let's get back to work. Thank you.